Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Elizabeth Dutton. Zarin Q. Burnett. <laughs> Q. I got a question for <laughs> yes. you, Elizabeth C. Yes. Dutton. Um, you know what's ridiculous? I do. Uh, okay. Stop right there. I do. I will collaborate and I will listen. You know what's one of, one of the things that's ridiculous is like, all the different kinds of mustard. Mm-hmm. Like, there's my favorite Mendocino mustard. Yeah, I like the Russian hot like mustard. Dijon. Are we going to be talking about hot dogs? No. Okay, good. Uh, we're talking about mustard, man. Yeah, I love mustard. We both love mustard. This do is you, established. Do you love mustard enough to eat it in Skittle form? What? Yeah. Ew. Yeah. How did you slide? You I was like, right, there's no way that we can be like talking about mustard. She wouldn't just come right at me with it and then I love mustard. Skittles. Skittles. Why? There's a there's a French's mustard, which Why? is like kind of the like lowest rung of mustard. It is. French's mustard. It's only good on like hot dogs. Yeah, exactly. And you gotta kinda be a little out of it. Um <laughs> so, French's mustard and Skittles have teamed up. Yeah. And it's for uh Mustard Day, National Mustard Day, August 5th. Is that a new holiday? Is you this been celebrate? around? We've been celebrating this all, all this time, now, and I've just been on. missing out on National Mustard Day. So I, I've kind of mentioned before that we're recording this pre-August 5th, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to air after August 5th. Who Whatever. knows? Who cares? Thank you. There you go. Right? I learned from you, boss. So um, we, you know, the, our social media people yeah. send us all the stuff that comes in. Mm-hmm. and Thank you for that, by the way. Thank you for your service. And literally, like, hundreds Hundreds? of messages from all the various platforms, that email account Mm -hmm. that we have, and about the the mustard Skittles. Oh, this this week you've been just been getting... It's just doesn't stop ah. and they they just keep coming to me and i See, go the interns okay don't send me the mashups they only give no, they them only to send you it to me and most because... people are like "Ooh, this is for elizabeth don't tell zara yeah. So uh-huh. apparently they were getting really Thank inundated. You I see how you feel about <laughs> they were me. Inundated uh-huh. with the mustard <laughs> yes. skittles. Uh-huh. And so here's the thing. I went to the website because uh-huh. I, you know, I do. You these love things. websites. Um, and I tried to find out where wherefore art thou. Did you order some? Well, I tried. Oh. So you can't get them in the store. No, of course not. And you can never get it in the store. It there seems like. are three places where you can get them on Mustard Day. Is one of them like Mets Stadium? Well, actually, no. It's other around Mustard Day. So in Atlanta. You're like I won't call any baseball team by their other names. It's always the team. <laughs> exactly. Okay, go on. Atlanta, mm-hmm. July 31st at Pont City Market. Oh, I actually know where that is. And Washington, D.C., August 2nd at City Center. Uh-huh. And and these are all like 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then New York City, get a rope, August 5th <laughs> okay. at Hudson River Park. Wow. Now, if you can't get to those spots. Send a friend. Right. Or you can go to their website and be one of 700 winners. Oh, you God. enter in your information oh, and you'll probably get emails about mustard to the end of days. Uh-huh. 
Um, and then you can enter. So I entered. Of course you did. You know what I did? I called my mom. Beep, boop, 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 beep. I was like, hey, enter and try and get me them Skittles. Oh, and she said the website was down and it said there was too much traffic. <laughs> oh, so anyway. Oh, people are I insane. said, I told people. Who wants mustard? Honestly, who wants mustard Skittles? Nobody. I, I No one does, except for now me. I told people <laughs> on Twitter yes. uh-huh. that if I got them, if, uh-huh. tw- if, if Skittles sent them to me, I would eat them on this show right uh-huh. in front of you. Yeah, I as long as I'm not and then I like, do the thing where I like, open my mouth and my tongue's all bright oh. yellow and I'm all that. <laughs> and so I do that. And then if someone else wound up uh-huh. getting them, uh-huh. that they had to eat them and then record themselves doing that taste sensation. So mm-hmm. I like when you say if someone else gets them, and it sounds like you're talking about like a, a transmitted disease. Like if someone else if gets someone this. contracts the Skittles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, in the past, they've done mustard donuts, mustard mm-hmm. ice cream, mustard hot dog buns, and even mustard beer. Is this always French's? Yeah. Okay, French's. They're trying to make this happen. They're, these conference rooms, I'm telling you, these corporation conference rooms Ooh, must be fun. But you know, they got to start cutting me in on this. If you're going <laughs> to do you this, on the ground floor. send this to me and I'll talk about it. Hype it up before the people need to hear yeah, about it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Elizabeth, you got a second? Of course. I got always. something ridiculous for you. Please. And it doesn't involve mustard. Damn it. I know. But, if you, okay, I'll just put it to you this way. Mm-hmm. Life advice. Okay? Are you going to give me some? I'm giving you some, girl. Okay. If you're the kind of person to enter into a life pact with somebody, you know, yeah. like one of the things like, oh, I promised you this, and like, you know, like, not like, like not a quite marriage? like, no, 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 no. Like a, a promise to like a really good friend, like a, a loved ring? one. No, no, and not like one of those, like, I'll give you my firstborn child. I don't mean just shy Got of firstborn of child, whatever yeah. those life pacts are, when you tell your buddy, like, I'm going to do this, and then you promise and you really mean it. Okay. Okay, those. A you vow. Have, you have to honor those commitments. Yeah, you're. Be a mensch. Exactly. So basically what I'm saying, Elizabeth, is if you promise you would steal your friend's dead body, then you have to steal your friend's dead body. Yeah, don't make something that you can't follow up. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. Always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Yes. Elizabeth. Zarin. You know the band, the uh, Flying Burrito Brothers, right? Not personally. But, but you heard of them? Yes. You know Grant Parsons? You know this yes. is? Okay, so this story is really kind of aimed at you. This is a peak California story. You know I love it. Yeah, now you know this this uh, whole genre, this feel, this mood, this lifestyle better than I do. So this is a story aimed at you. <gasps> Thank you. Yeah. Happy Mustard Day to me. Now, do you know what happened after Grant Parsons died? Well, why don't you back it up? It refresh my memory as who these people Graham are. Graham Parsons. Okay, so Graham Parsons was a country rocker. Yeah. Uh, and he was part of that Laurel Canyon set in the 1970s in Los Angeles where your eagles were uh, spawned mm-hmm. from. Right? Emmy Lou Harris. Uh, it was that. Stephen Stills. Stephen Stills. The treetop flyer. The God Crosby, bless. Stills, Nash, and Young. I and believe young. were all through and there. And sometimes Young. Now, uh... I've got a story for you based on that that whole scene. Okay. Right now, Graham Parsons came out of that scene, and he was in the Flying Burrito Brothers. Later on, was a solo artist, and um, he was a singer songwriter and uh, a solo artist. I'd say is probably the best way to think about him. Now, guy's a consummate baby boomer, right? Born mm-hmm. at the perfect sweet spot in American history. It was born in that time between World War II being one and just in time for the post-war boom times of the 60s where yeah. everybody's like, it was young. is like, oh, I don't know. This isn't how it's always been. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So then they, everyone's, their parents had run away to the suburban version of the American dream. And then, then the kids hated it and they ran away to L.A. and they wrote songs about how much it sucked. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's him. Okay. <laughs> so dude is born in Winter Park, Florida. He was raised up in Waycross, Georgia. Do you know Waycross, Georgia? No. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful place. I've never been there. Yeah, it's Waycross, Georgia. That's that's how it got the name. <laughs> no. So, yeah. <laughs> the way there's Norcross, Georgia, is it's for the crosses. North Cross, South Cross. There's these cro- okay. crossroads. So the North Cross Road, South Cross Road. Waycross, Waycross, Georgia. That's Waycross. what we used to always say. Anyway, <laughs> what he would say about Waycross is, quote, there's an old saying about it. As soon as you learn to walk, you start walking out of town. Oh. So, yeah. The, truth be told, uh... This wasn't everyone's experience of Waycross. Some people really like Waycross. Sure. I'm not going to bag on it, but Graham Parson, he wasn't into this small town life, right? He didn't like that state expected, like going to your daddy's business kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Now, he left home, headed off to college, and he went to Harvard. Smart no. cat, right? Dang. Yeah. Now, so he gets I bet he the- told everybody about it. 
<laughs> going to Harvard. Uh-huh. No, he was not that guy, actually, okay. because he gets out in the big wide world. And instead of an education at Harvard, he finds a new way of being. He decides like he basically he lasts one semester. Mm-hmm. Right. So, he uh, well, here, here's a quote. He said, and I quote, uh-huh. at Harvard, you don't major. You concentrate. One thing I was hell bound to concentrate on was what Albert and Leary were up to with LSD. No. But they'd left. Mainly, I was turned off by the fact that I had to study all these things I didn't understand. I lasted four or five months by playing music and just having good times. So <laughs> that's how he, that's what he got out of Harvard. You know, then also he got country music. He had yeah. loved country music when he was a boy, kind of moved away from it. And then he gets up, into, for some reason, up into Massachusetts, and apparently he found somebody who was like, hey, you want to play some country music? He falls back in love with country music, right? He actually, Technically, he heard Merle Haggard. And then, oh, that, okay. then he, wanted going, he wanted to go find more. And then he apparently sought out people to play with. This causes a whole new direction so in his he, life. So he doesn't like Nashville country. He likes Yeah, he likes like country. the Bakersfield sound, the outlaw sound, yeah. the, the, the Waylon Willie, the outlaw country. Right. right? Now... As he told uh, Rolling Stone back in 1973, I just passed my identification crisis and came back to country music. So that was like his like coming home moment, right? Yeah. Now, Graham Parsons, like I said, always been a musician. He started playing guitar in his teens. Uh, then Back then, he wanted to be like Elvis. I mean, who didn't want to be like Elvis in the 50s, I guess? And, Me. <laughs> not you. But he had an ear for country and gospel music stations. Those were like what informed his sound, right? Mm-hmm. So he drops out of college, becomes a full-time musician. Now, he had a rare talent because... All of a sudden, I don't even understand how. He just starts always finding himself around really big names. Hmm. The guy, and he wasn't like a, like a hanger-on. Like apparently, they would hear his music and think, oh, the, you got to come with us, right? Yeah. So he gets an audition to join the Birds, the band. Wow. Yeah, and then he goes, he gets the gig. He uh, He's over there. Oh, in, yeah. He's over there in England playing yeah, with yeah. the Birds, and they're going to go uh, uh, down to Africa, right, for a tour. And he's like... Wait, wait, are we going to be going to South Africa? They're like, oh, yeah, of course we're going to South Africa. So I'm not playing in that apartheid state. So he quits the, the band. Wow, that's an early I ain't going to play Sun City. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, he's wow. way ahead of the curve on a lot of this stuff. So this was, by the way, the summer of 68. That's what year this was. Okay. Yeah, So instead of South Africa, he stays behind in England. And, uh, and then that heady mix of 1968 London, right? He, this lonesome cowboy, is wandering around the streets of London. It's just with a guitar and a dream, basically. And he strikes up a friendship that becomes one of his deepest bonds. And now, can you guess who in England, in London in 1968, he would strike up a friendship with? I don't know. Keith Richards, Elizabeth. Whoa. Okay. It's <laughs> just like Keith Richards, is like, I like that cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him. Right? So the two soul cowboys, they see something in each other. Yeah. They both love country music. So they just bond, right? So Keith, he brings Graham Parsons around the Rolling Stones. And the Rolling Stones are like, ah, he's all right. And Mick's like, I like him, right? So now they all become friends. He spends the summer with the Rolling Stones. And then they start making music together. He's playing some songs with them. Keith uh, Richards writes a song about Graham Parsons. Oh, really? It's called Wild Horses. You know the song Wild Horses? No, I did not know that. (laughs) That's about Graham Parsons. Oh, wow. It's also about how Graham Parsons reignited Keith's love of country music. Interesting. So he's just out there now, an evangelist of country music. Well, there was sort of that whole American Americana push in yes. the music at the time that was like trying to reclaim like a real America that mm-hmm. they I think that everyone felt they were promised that didn't exist totally. or like reclaiming that and then in the Brits they loved the, the mythology blues. of it yeah. yeah the muscle shoals of it all exactly exactly so you know being a free spirit of course Graham Parson eventually wears out his welcome <laughs> yeah so the, the, the he was doing too many drugs he, oh that's yeah. what Keith's on <laughs> no seriously like if you have Keith Richards telling you look mate why don't you slow down a bit right <laughs> You you are you have a drug problem. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, are doing drugs drug wrong. Like it'd be like if Drake told you you're being a little too emo. <laughs> no, it'd be like if Elvis told you to lay off the rhinestones. <laughs> no, no, wait, uh, no, Elizabeth. It'd be like if Erica Badu said your head wrap is too big. You always have to listen to Badu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you head too close to God. Yes. But anyway, so this guy who's got Keith Richards going, hey, sober up. He's like, okay, I'll listen. He goes back to the United States, right? And what does he do? He gets into a motorcycle accident because he didn't really listen to Keith Richards. Yeah. So this sends him into recovery for two years. And so who is unlikely to get sober, Elizabeth? Someone in recovery who has a drug problem. (laughs) So he has to pop pain pills every morning just to face the day. That's what happens. That's how they get you. Yeah. So Graham Parsons does not get sober. Yeah. Nor does he even take it easy, as Keith Richards suggested. Instead, he goes harder. He didn't listen to the Eagles. Take it easy. He's not listening to anybody. I'm no. telling you. All these good advice out there, just circling around him. He's like, where's the drugs? He's just 
Yeah. <laughs> so, but all along this whole time, he is an artist, a consummate artist. The dude's writing new music. He's recording songs. And by 1970, he has a, a solo album together. He's like, hey, let me put out my solo album. He hired like a singer from Alabama, a little known to a woman nobody had really heard of at this point named Emmy Lou Harris. She right. has her in a band. Then he hired a Elvis's touring band. That's who he hires oh, wow. for his band. He was a big fan of Elvis. He's like, I want Elvis's band. Yeah. So he hires Elvis's band. But bad luck is not yet done with Graham Parsons. So he gets back to LA. He's planning to record a follow-up album, his second solo work. What happens? Just before he can get into the studio to record, his house catches fire. Burns oh. down his house, right? Now, but he lived, at, as I said, up in that hippie enclave in Laurel Canyon, right? Yeah. So when the fire was done, there's like nothing left to grab. Like just, yeah. it just there's basically it's, these, uh, it's like a wrinkle of hills that caught the fire engines didn't get up there in time and it just burns it's down. He didn't take the whole hill with him. Exactly. The neighbors are like, at least it was only his house. Yeah. So Graham Parsons, he picks up sticks and moves on. And so he wasn't too worried because you see, Graham Parsons was a trust fund kid. That's how he could afford Elvis's touring uh-huh. band. Now, can you guess how much this guy had as a trust fund? Oh, God. Okay. You have a devilish look on your yes. face. I'm imagining it's... $30,000 a year trust fund. Oh, that's in 1970. In 19- that's money. obscene. He was at the that scion of a citrus magnet. At one time, his granddaddy was growing one third of all of the citrus crop grown in Florida. Now, did you look up what the yes, equipment I did. was? Oh, thank you. So I calculated what it would be in you 2020 dollars. Okay, this cat had a $223,000 annual trust fund. Wow. He was getting a quarter of a billion dollars every year. Quarter of a million. Well, sorry, quarter of a billion. Sorry, quarter of a million dollars every year. <laughs> BM, whatever. It's the same. So, wow. That's it's the why same because it's way more than I get. <laughs> exactly. Now you see why he had a drug problem. He could afford everything. Yeah. He's like, oh. Dang. And also, he probably came from a loveless family. So, anyway, yeah, he, uh, he did not live long enough to complete his second solo album. No. Because, oh, by the way, his second solo album, he was very self conscious about who he was, how he was, and he knew he was not. Uh, he was here for a short time, not a long time. Mm-hmm. His name was The Return of the Grievous Angel. That was the name of his uh, album that mm-hmm. he didn't get to make. Anyway, in the autumn of 1973, although he didn't know it, Graham Parsons had just days to live. Yeah. yeah. So perhaps he did have an inkling what was coming for him, though, because earlier that year, he'd attended a funeral of a friend, and he talked to his manager, this dude, Phil Kaufman. He's like, don't let this happen to me. Now, when he said, don't let this happen to me, he didn't mean, like, don't let me die. Like, yeah. <laughs> so he didn't have that kind of money. <laughs> but he'd, he was basically, he was, you know, he was out of his gazebo on, like, Dr. Feelgood's finest pharmaceuticals, but mm-hmm. he was like, he wasn't so high that he was like, please don't let me die. You know, yeah. it's just like, what he means is don't let my funeral become some maudlin affair, some schmaltzy, like, thing that yeah. it's an engagement everyone's like oh he's t- like fake tears. looking around he's like this is tacky I don't want it yeah he's like none of this for the gram <laughs> so he said also by the way please don't let me be buried so be sure that my body is cremated let my soul be released and you scatter my ashes at Joshua Tree oh, okay his friends were like alright bet alright I will do that so now he was very specific about that last part He his friend took him to his word because they'd spent a lot of time at Joshua Tree and also you know he was his manager so he's like okay bro I, I got you man I got you but don't worry Fateful weekend arrives, September 15th, 1973. The Ides of September, Elizabeth. <laughs> Graham Parsons, big fan of the bars and the saloons of, uh, that a traveler would find out on the 29 Palms Highway, which yeah. leads you. Yeah, okay. So he's out there 140, 150 miles east of L.A. in that dry, distant desert. And Graham Parsons, he's finding his sense of peace and calm. But it wasn't just him, because in the 60s and 70s, as you know, Joshua Tree became this mecca for Southern Californians looking to like bliss out on nature, go run away and get like have like a peyote trip. Yeah. Or, so they're all out there and they're vibing with the spirit of the wind, aligning their chakras. And so these hotels start popping up and then it becomes cool. Now you got Hollywood stars and rock stars coming out there. So they're all flocking to the desert and they're mixing and mingling at these like resorts and hotels that are down the street from bars and saloons that are like real old and dusty. Yeah. So it's this really interesting mix. And yeah. so Graham Parsons just loves it, right? His one uh, former manager said, quote, he was always anxious to go there. I visited him there once. It was nothing exciting, but he knew every bar and saloon in the area. <laughs> so bet. apparently this was his spot. So there he is in his spot, blissed out. September 17th rolls around. He checks into the Joshua Tree End. This was his favorite spot, right? So key in hand, he goes in to find room number eight. Once there, he 
loads his supplies, which primarily was booze, pot, and heroin. That's oh. what, those were his supplies. Oh. So now that he's uh, all you know, all situated, he gets stupid high on all the drugs, right? Mm-hmm. So at one point in this long weekend, somebody is sent back to L.A. to procure more pot. They did not bring enough pot for oh, Graham God. Parsons. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, Graham Parsons is now going through all of the heroin and all of the booze. Now, do you know anything about booze and heroin, Elizabeth? They both suppress your breathing. <laughs> They're a terrible combination. They're like the <sighs> lethal cocktail. Like, yeah. So this is something that like Keith Richards had warned him about. So he proceeds to slam six double shots of tequila and tell the, his companions, if you guys aren't drinking, I'll drink for all three of us. Oh, God. So weekend wears on with that energy, right? He's now waiting for the marijuana delivery to come. He's pushed on to get, he's purchased some local morphine. He's like, oh, I brought my oh, heroin. No. You got some morphine? I'll try that. So he gets this hippie girl he knows who's a uh, girlfriend of a friend of his. He, he goes with her to her motel room. She shoots him up. Minutes later, he's slumped over ODing. Right. Oh God. So what do they do? The hippie chick with the morphine runs and gets his friends. They're still partying in the mo- other motel room. This uh, girl's name is Margaret, right? So Margaret finds this guy, Dale McElroy. And as he tells it, quote, Margaret rushed up to my door in a panic and told me that Graham had overdosed and to go get some ice cubes and meet her in room one. So this morphine slang and hippie chick, she knew just what to do in an overdose. So apparently the answer was ice suppository. Oh, God. Yeah, so his friends ran to fetch ice cubes. Margaret McElroy gets Graham into the position for the ice, and as Dale recalled, the ice enema worked like a charm. Quote, Margaret quickly took down his pants and pushed two or three ice cubes up his To my astonishment, in a matter of seconds, he'd regained consciousness. He made some joke about what we were doing with his pants down. He'd gotten up, and he was walking around the room. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. Oh, my God. Right? So he's back alive. Now now that he's conscious again, up and walking, Margaret, she takes off to go get some coffee, because this has been stressful for her, right? Margaret tells McElroy, just watch Graham for a dumb, make sure he doesn't go back to sleep. And so he does, as he's told. But that's all he knows is just make sure he doesn't go back to sleep. He doesn't know what to do when Graham Parsons stops breathing. So he's freaked out, panicked. They try to resuscitate him. This doesn't work. Finally, someone decides to call the paramedics. They call 911. It's too late. And Mm -hmm. at this point, Graham Parsons has been pronounced dead. The coroner notes that the singer-songwriter, he died of acute alcohol and morphine poisoning. It was exactly the mix Keith Richards had well, warned him back. It's a disease. Yeah. He had a disease. So, yeah. you know, and yeah, exactly. So, the Phil Kaufman, the manager, he's back in LA. When his singer, his best friend, dies, he gets the call from Dale McElroy, right? And this is how he tells it Quote, When Dale called and told me Graham was dead, I said, No, no. But Dale said, Graham is dead and they're taking his body away. I said, Okay, I'll be right there. It was about a three hour drive to get there from LA. Now, Kathy Miles, my girlfriend at the time, had a VW bus. So they load up in the VW bus and they race out to Joshua Tree. It's a long, panicked three-hour drive. Sure. We get to the motel early in the morning and I clean the motel room out. Good manager. He just gets rid of the drugs, right? That's the God. first things first, right? Get rid of the drug stash. Then, quote, at the hospital, I was told the police wanted to interview the girls again. So I told them who I was and I said, I'll bring the girls in, right? So then he rushes back to where the girls are. He's like, we need to get you out of town. So then he rushes them back to L.A. and gets them away from the police. Oh, quote, I got everybody in the car, took them back to L.A., out of the local police jurisdiction. So the girls wouldn't have to be interviewed. Very much a rock and roll manager of the time. Yeah. So what's next? Now, time to lay low, right? So he's like, I stayed home at my house on Chandler in LA for a couple days, but I knew what I had to do. I had to fulfill my promise to Graham. Mm. I mean, you remember the promise, Elizabeth, right? He promised that he would ensure that his friend's body was cremated. Yeah. He didn't just make a promise. He said it was a life pact between them. So he had to go through with it. And this dude, Kaufman, he is a mensch. So he does just as he promised. Oh. Yes. Now, after this little break, I will tell you about his plan to steal Graham Parsons' body. Wait, steal? Yes. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. 
For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. All right, Elizabeth, we're okay, back. Okay, Zarin. Now, I know this has been a little bit of a bummer for you. Yeah, because, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a little sad. Like, with this guy, he's like a up-and-coming artist, and he, he basically just takes himself out, unfortunately, on drugs and hubris. Yeah, right? yeah. But I'll tell you, there is somewhat of a happy ending in terms of his friends really go the extra mile for him, and they try to make his his one of his last wishes come true. Yeah, well, right? that's good. So it's kind of like a really weird, twisted Make-A-Wish foundation. Okay. All right, so... Kaufman, he's on his way, yeah, as I told you, like, in his mind, back to Graham Parsons, right? So he's like, okay, I got to figure out a way to steal his body. What, right? what, okay. Now, why do I say steal his body? Yeah, because thank you. he knows it's in Joshua Tree at some, like, you know, coroner's office. Yeah. He also knows he comes from an old Southern family, though most likely they're rich. They're going to have the bodies flown back home as soon as they find out he's passed away. So he's oh, like, I got to get there before that if yeah. I'm going to give him what he wanted for his last wish. Right. So he says, and I quote, I called the mortuary in Joshua Tree to find out where Graham's body was. They told me he was en route to the Continental Airlines at LAX from where he would be shipped back to his stepfather in New Orleans. Oh, they'd already gotten on it. As it happened, Dale owned a big Cadillac Hertz, so I told her I wanted it, and I needed Michael to help me. So he's got a plan. Oh, God. I just need a hearse. Oh, God. He knows somebody with a hearse, Elizabeth. Anytime a friend of yours is like, do you have a hearse? (laughs) Just be like, take a deep breath and be like, have I made a pact about this one? What about if you are the friend with the hearse? Why? People always coming to you like, hey, can I borrow your hearse? Yeah, I know. I've called people before and be like, hey, do you still have a truck? Which mm-hmm. is like, oh, I feel like such a jerk saying that, but like, you know, because if you own a truck and everyone's constantly yeah, they asking, always call you, yeah. Uh, but if I, first of all, if I have a hearse, mm-hmm. there's, I got so many bigger problems. And no offense <laughs> to everyone listening who has a hearse, whatever. We get it, you're spooky. It's just all too Rob Zombie. It's like, get too, a real car. Really? Get okay. get something practical. What if you like headroom? What if you're really tall? Get you a just Subaru. Walk- all right. <laughs> Well, now he's got his plan to get Graham, right? Yes. But he has to put it into action. The plan, as I told you, is simple. Steal the body of Graham Parsons, cremate it, yes. right? So how is he going to do this? That's what the voices in my head say sometimes. <laughs> Steal the body of Graham Parsons, cremate it. I'm like, I don't, what? So, anyway, go on. Well, he phones the Continental Airlines Mortuary Service Department, and he uh, found out when his friend's body would be flown out of LAX, right? Mm-hmm. He had to find out when, when's he leaving the area. Yeah. So once he had that intel, he contacted some friends. He puts together his body heist team because you're going to need a body <laughs> heist team. You can't lift one. the coffin by yourself. No. So to start off the hearse that he goes to pick up, it was a humdinger when he sees it, right? He remembered it well. But it wasn't the way he remembered it. So at this point, the hearse is primarily being used for camping trips, right? <laughs> so the car had numerous broken windows where, like, tent poles had gone through or a rock had oh, hit, God. right? It, it also ran kind of uneven because all they needed to do was get to the mountains and back so they didn't run it all the time, which is always bad for an old car. Yeah. It had no license plates whatsoever, right? They decided, well, that's good enough. We don't have time to deal with all that, right? So next stop, they're like, okay, we need outfits, right? They're going to need something <laughs> convincing, right? So you're going to steal your friend's dead body. You want to look sharp, right? So the body heist team, they opted for formal wear because they want to look like they're from a mortuary service. Uh So that fits their cover story. So 
they see themselves in the monkey suits they put on, right? Wait, they put on tuxedos? Yeah, well, like black suits, you know, okay, like, just yeah, like white say, shirt, black, suits black tie. Makes sense. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? But the hippie rockers are like, hell nah, this ain't right. Graham wouldn't allow this. So they changed from their convincing suits and instead they wore old jeans, cowboy boots, cowboy hats, and matching jackets. On the back of the jackets, emblazoned in broad letters, was Sin City. Wait, are these like those nudie suit jackets? Like he wore nudie suits, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he would. Yeah, those you know, country suits the country, that are all yeah, spangled, spangled and, and rhinestoned. They're amazing. Up. They're yes. beautiful. So yeah. he liked those, but he liked them more the hippie style, like with the pants, with like you know the flare leg pants and the flames, and like kind of more like a mariachi and like a, a matador style, right, all that very Mexican. Right. Yeah. Okay, so. That's what the, imagine they're rocking that. The okay. Sin City, though, jackets, imagine they're like, I don't know, like uh, roadie jackets. Okay. Okay. So they That's also. It's a pretty dope look, it sounds That's like. what I'm thinking. You know, and then they also decided, okay, we're taking a trip, so we're going to need some refreshments. So they sure. got a cooler, a beer, and a bottle of Jack Daniels. No lessons learned at this point. <laughs> Zero. None whatsoever. They're Maybe. like, no one was like, hold on a second. Did we, did you guys, did we learn anything from, from yes. the, no. No, none no. whatsoever. Just faster, harder. Yeah, one more. of them's like, spike me, and then they start driving. So, yeah, so they load up behind the wheel of the hearse, they head to the airport. Now, I'm just glad also that the hearse isn't one of those where it's like painted purple and people hot glue little doll heads all over it. <laughs> like an art car? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not so, like that. I like that it's a, util- it's all it's a utility out. hearse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a working man's hearse. So, <laughs> as Kaufman tells it, quote, they had a holding area in the hangar at the airport where they take the caskets for onward shipment we got there about 10 o'clock on the thursday night so they pull up it's dark he's got his partner in crime with him this dude named michael martin so they they pull up at at nearly the same time as a flatbed truck that has the casket containing graham parsons so it takes a little sweet talking but the manager kaufman he's able to convince the airline that the family has changed their mind and that they now want the body to be flown back south on a private chartered flight Oh. Yes. So the airline's like, oh, of course, of course. You'll have to sign some paperwork. And he's like, oh, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. So he does. He signs it, uh, Jeremy Nobody. He was very proud of this. <laughs> Every time nobody. he tells the story, he's like, I signed it, Jeremy Nobody. I was like, <laughs> okay, buddy. <laughs> anyway, Jeremy Nobody, he now has his paperwork all done up. The airline employee goes, I'll help you two dirtbag country rockers. <laughs> right. So they start to load the casket into the broken down old hurts. Everything's going perfect. Couldn't be going better, right? Until the fuzz arrives. Uh-oh. So don't look now, but it's the cops. So <laughs> a cop car pulls up and blocks the open hangar door. And they're a little sketched out because they're drunk and they shouldn't be driving. Oh, my God. So Kaufman and Martin are almost certain they're going to be be busted right they're like oh but they're cool they're they're they're, you know they're zonked out on pills too so a little bit you know medicated they act cool play cool they're super chill the manager coffin walks right up to the cop and in his most annoyed officious managerial tone possible he says hey can you move that patrol car oh it says yes you gotta act like you know tells the cop what to do right the other cop just stares back at him like what who do you think you are then he's like, oh, oh, I see you. You got the hearse. He apologizes to the manager and he goes, here, let me help you guys. So he helps them load the casket no into the way. hearse. Then he sees that there are empty beer cans and a half-drunk <laughs> bottle of whiskey. Oh, the cop's like, oh, it must be a tough time for these guys. I don't know. But he's, he's guessing that they these people who should be at work, this is their yeah. job. They don't. He doesn't know that they know him personally. Yeah. They would just assume they're mortuary service well, workers. Well, I mean, that video has been making the rounds on social media where like they interviewed people in the 80s when they outlawed drunk driving mm-hmm. and the guy's like cracking a beer in the driver's seat oh, yes. he's like I think this is Oh, bogus. Yeah. yeah, you remember. I remember the, the accuser, a beer for the, want one for the road. That meant as oh. you were driving. So my dad's friends would give each other a beer for the road <laughs> and that meant literally for While the road. Not driving. like before you get on their car, but like here, in the car, pop this open and be drinking it. Right. So, yeah, it was, so it was common. Very common. Yeah, it so wasn't this, like that would get you right away. A decade and a half before a mad turning to the whole drunk driving right. conversation, right? So the cop looks at these guys, figures must something must be going on for these guys, and he goes, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes right now. So he has sympathy for them, right? So he looks pretty chill. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So the uh, partner in crime, Michael Martin, he gets behind the wheel of the hearse, and then he starts to drive, but he, of course, like I said, drunk driving, boom, Hits the hangar door. The cop's like, oh, what's going on? Oh, here, let me get in my car. He gets in his car, backs up so they have more room. And then oh lets my God. Out. So now they've managed to successfully steal their friend's body. So what do they do now, Elizabeth? I don't know. Well, they have to drive to the desert. Okay, remember, they got to yeah, get yeah. to Joshua Tree. It's a very simple plan. I didn't know how many pit stops they were going to make in L.A. Good call. They do make a pit uh-huh. stop. They stop and get gas, right? Because they needed a little extra gas for the fire. So they load up a can with five gallons of gas. Wait, for the... Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they're not doing cremation. this at a crematorium. No, it's no. just all coming together for yep. me. And then they aim the hearse at Joshua Tree and they say, good night to L.A. 
and they drive off, Whew. right? As Coffin tells it, quote, Off we went in our drunken stupor with Graham in the back and drove out beyond the Joshua Tree Inn. By now, it's like 1 a.m. So they stop at this place called Cap Rock. It's a striking geological feature in the Joshua Tree National Park. Inside, the, the, the rock is this really big flat rock. It's an oblong in shape. It's about 10 feet long, and it's resting at like this cockeyed angle, right? Mm-hmm. They felt that was the perfect place to barbecue their friend. So, oh, but on. rather than tell you about Elizabeth, I'd like you to close your oh, eyes no. and picture oh, it. Oh, God. You are a roadrunner. <laughs> That's right, the long-legged desert bird of Warner Brothers fame. Me, me. And it is way past your bedtime. You were awakened by the sound of an old car approaching. The headlights glared into your nest there on the ground at the foot of a cactus tucked away in a bramble of brush that encircles the cactus. You've been watching a pair of idiots try to wrestle a coffin out of a hearse. They struggle mightily. One of the men loses his grip and the coffin drops hard against the back bumper of the hearse and then settles against the desert ground. You prop your head up on your nest and watch the men as they drag the coffin through the dirt over to a spot below a large rocky prominence in an angled boulder. They seem satisfied. This is the spot. One of the men opens the casket. It creaks. The hinges are in desperate need of oil. The casket falls open. You stare at the two men as they stare at their friend. The quiet moment is broken by the sound of an owl call. One of the men reaches forward and you hear the other one say, don't touch him. That same guy bends down and grabs the red gas can. He opens it and then pours the contents on the coffin, dousing it all with gasoline. You wonder if you need to move your nest. You hear one man say to the other, all right, all right, Graham, you're on your way, brother. Now there's a small flash of flame. It's a match. The man holding it tosses on the coffin, doused in gasoline, and it erupts in bright hot flame. There's a tremendous sound that accompanies the fireball and it lights up the desert midnight blackness above you. You're like, these idiots are gonna burn down everything. But nope, it just burns the casket. The two men step back from the now brightly burning casket. They stare, they stare as the ashes rise and lift up into the sky. They float like they might make it all the way up to the stars. The two men seem very solemn to you, but yet also very triumphant. They clap each other on the back and they say good final goodbyes to their friends. Then they both turn suddenly and they turn to look at what has caught their attention. It's a pair of headlights headed right for you and for them. The two guys in the burning casket are framed in light. The two men don't put the fire out, instead they run back to the hearse. It roars back to life and they tear ass out of there, leaving the flaming coffin behind for you to wonder, who's gonna put this out? Oh my God. And now you wonder, how am I gonna get to sleep, back to sleep tonight? Uh-uh. Right? Heck of a night for you, Elizabeth. Heck of a night. <laughs> so these two drunken honky-tonk heroes of the afterlife, they just set free the spirit of their dearly departed friend. Huh. They good to their life pack. And they yeah, did so in his true. most beloved place. They realized that while he may now be free and gone from this mortal plane of existence, they are still very much alive, and now they're in a lot of legal trouble. I'd say. So they quickly grasp this fact that they are now in a car chase, and they tear across the desert in the national forest, afraid of all the ugly legal consequences now dangling over them. And they speed and speed and speed away from the headlights on the horizon. But the headlights are gaining on them, it feels like. They're not certain, but it feels like it, right? They keep getting closer and closer. But this hearse, it's a terrible getaway car. If you're going to get a getaway car, don't pick a hearse. I'd say so, yeah. But somehow these two amateur arsonists, they manage to hammer down and they truck across the desert and make it to a freeway, or actually a highway, rather, and then they beeline it all the way back to L.A. Their plan, total success. Now all they have to do is get back and become, once again, anonymous citizens of the City of Angels. Sure. Easy enough. Right? But first they decide, you know what? We're a little bit drunk. We should probably get some sleep. Yeah, well, good idea. So they stop. They pull off for a little nap, and uh, then they'll get back to being anonymous. Oh, so, so they just pulled over on the side of the road. Pull over, and they take they crash out for a while. When they wake up, the hurts won't start. So now they're stuck in the desert, coming down, sobering up. Headache is starting to take hold. Oh God. So they hike across the desert, and they get to the closest mechanic's garage, right? They talk the guy into fixing their broken-down hippie hurts that suck back in the freeway, or the highway, rather. The mechanic's like, okay, guys, I'll go with you. And he takes his truck, and he drives him back out there. Dude gets the hearse running. So now, what do the partners in crime do? Head on to L.A., But they don't quite make it back to L.A. before they get into a fender bender. Oh, no. (laughs) They get back into L.A. traffic and they rear end a car. Cops show up. They survey the scene. The cops walk up to the hearse. Kaufman, he opens the door for the cops. Empty beer cans spill out onto the road. Oh, my God. The cops go, 
okay, y'all drunk. Okay, you guys are the problem because they had rear-ended somebody. He knew what the score. So he goes to check on the other drivers, see if they're injured, right? One of the cops at that point had already handcuffed the uh, the buddy Michael Martin, but had not mm-hmm. handcuffed Kaufman, the driver. He just like, he, I don't know why they handcuffed the passenger. But yeah. They had handcuffed the yeah. passenger and they had, and then they were going to check on the injured parties, right? So the guys knew this was their moment, their mm-hmm. only chance. And they decided, let's take it. So as Coffin said, quote, well, Michael was a skinny little guy. So he just slipped his hand out of the cuffs and we took off down the nearest off ramp. We got back to my house. I got someone to cut the handcuffs off. Oh, my God. So oh my they God. took off and ran and made it all the way back to Hollywood. From a traffic stop. From a traffic stop where they had gotten into an accident. Oh and they boy. left the hearse behind. Not their hearse, by, mind you. Right, someone exactly. Someone else's hearse. So someone else is going to get this. And they're going to be like, hey, did you uh, get in a car accident? Did you let two guys steal your car? <laughs> anyway, they make it safely back to Kaufman's house. And after they some sleep, they do get a copy of the day's paper. And just as they imagined, the paper is filled with stories of the rock stars and timely demise, but then also the stories of the theft from the airport. And now there is also a focus on this bizarre desert cremation because the newspapers have already gotten the story out. So they speculate, could it be black magic? Was it witches? Satanists? Was, Uh. Was it some dark arts ritual to please their satanic majesty's request? Oh, God. Because the Rolling Stones album of the same yes. name had come out one year prior. So people were starting to believe that the hippies were into some weird, yeah. dark magic, you yeah. know? Zeppelin's about to come out, and Jimmy Page is going to blow people's minds with his, like, oh, you want dark arts? Yeah, I got right. you, boo. <laughs> right. So anyway, so Keith Richards, Graham Parsons' friend, right, he... uh he starts uh, trying to, like, answer questions to the press about what's going on, and he reacted to his friend's death, and this also helped make it a little more weird and sinister for the press because, you know, that's just the problem. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, several days later, Kaufman says, Graham's death hit the headlines in the local papers. Rockstar's body burned in bizarre desert ritual. Everybody in Los Angeles knew I did it, so it didn't take long for the cops to figure it out. The cops came to my house and questioned me, did you have necrophiliac sex with him? All that oh, sort of BS. God. Now, let me back up, Elizabeth. Yes, please. I want you to be able to fully inhabit this weird scene. So uh-huh. at the time, Gene Hackman was at Kaufman's house. Wait, okay. The, yes, the actor Gene Hackman, yeah. along with filmmaker Arthur Penn, they were there shooting a movie, the movie, the movie Night Moves, and Kaufman was, he starts playing it up for Gene Hackman and all the other Hollywood types, right? So he's like, quote, as I'm being taken to the cop car, Hackman and Penn are standing watching, and they ask Kathy, his girlfriend, yeah. what was going on? And when she explained, Arthur Penn said, Gene, we're shooting the wrong movie here. Oh my God. So, let's take a little break, Elizabeth, and then yes. uh, you can think about Gene Hackman, and I'll think about Arthur Penn. And when we come back, Perfect. we'll be back in two and two with more of this wild tale. You dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. All right, Elizabeth. 
Elizabeth. Okay. So now that our body jackers are in police custody, (laughs) things begin to go a little more like what you would expect. Okay. But not by much. Okay. So Kaufman, he gets hauled into the LAPD Venice station. He's booked. He's charged. He's got a laundry list of crimes he doesn't even understand because they can't quite figure out what to charge him with. Mm -hmm. So as Kaufman told the press at the time, quote, I'm charged with stealing a coffin. One of the the cops called it Graham Theft Parsons. He said, quote, we had the damnedest time trying to figure out what to charge you with. So eventually the cops and the prosecutors, they settle on some charges and they were able to sort it out and come up with the charges of basically theft, right? This doesn't take a whole long time. So Kaufman is home, back home within hours. So isn't there like the unlawful disposal of a body charge? That's later. That came later. That did not apparently exist at this time. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. He, and I did not find that he was the reason for that law, right. but he right. predates yeah. it at least. Yeah. So Interesting. He's gone for a little while. He gets back to his house. And he says, quote, I was only gone about three hours. I went right back to the house, and the movie crew cheered when I walked in. Oh, God. So he gets this hero's welcome. Now, you may be wondering a bit about this Cat Kaufman. Like, what kind of dude is this? He's, yeah. a, he's a tour manager in the late What kind 60s. of cat is he? Is Great he a question, tabby? Elizabeth. Is he a calico? Is he, exactly. You know, is he yeah. a Siamese? What is this dude's what story? What's his breed? Well, this dude, I'll just tell you, I'll cut right to the chase. He's not quite right. Yeah. The so, boy ain't right? Yeah. Now, Elizabeth... Uh, <laughs> Rolling Stone reported back in 1973 when this crime was fresh that uh, this is the magazine of the countercultures. They weren't yeah. like leaping to be judgmental of this type of guy, right? Right. They attempted to provide some missing context for this band manager who was willing to go the extra mile. They said, quote, Kaufman's arrest is not his first. Several years ago, he was imprisoned on drug charges at Terminal Island Federal Correctional Institute in San Pedro, California. Another prisoner at the time was Charles Manson. Upon his release, Kaufman lived with Manson and his followers for two months. What? So not only was dude in prison with Charles Manson, he hung out with Charles Manson. He befriended Charles Manson. He thought Charles Manson was a musical genius, and he wanted to go into business with Charles Manson. As Rolling Stone further reported, quote, a believer in Manson's music, Kaufman formed his own company and produced Manson's album, Lie after being turned down at major record companies. Wasn't it also Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys? Yeah, Brian Wilson. Brian and... No, you're right, Dennis Wilson. Dennis, yeah. And he went and hung out at Brian Wilson's house. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. Was all in with uh, Manson. Yeah, exactly. He was apparently like a fringe for a lot of that, uh, you know, that whole scene, that that L.A. quasi-hippie rock scene. Yeah, they all like this spooky little dude. (laughs) Apparently, charismatic guy. (laughs) So if that doesn't answer most, if not all of your questions, that's all I got for you about Kaufman. Okay. Buddy of uh, Charles Manson thinks he's a musical yeah, genius, I willing get, I to direct I, his I life. I get it, yeah. yeah. So, dude, uh, so other than being a Charles Manson groupie <laughs> and wanting to be his manager, quote, this cat, Kaufman, he was a, he's riding on a different plane than the rest of us. So anyway, my point is, he and co-defendant Martin appeared in court on November 5th, 1973, and they were stoked because it would have been Graham Parsons' 27th birthday. Oh, he probably would have liked that. Yeah. So, <laughs> Elizabeth, if you were a judge in 1973 and these two bird-brained hippie rockers yes. from the Laurel Canyon scene come into your courtroom and you read their file and it says they stole their friend from the airport, they drove him to a national park where they proceeded to set their friend's casket ablaze and then left the charred casket there still burning in the national forest when they then sped home drunk driving and getting into a multi-car pileup on the freeway and where they then fled the scene in a true hit-and-run escape. What sort of sentence are you giving them? <laughs> well, I'm wondering, I mean, because they did it in the national park, are there federal charges? On, does If you do something like that in a federal It can be. They park? can throw federal charges. In this case, they did mm. not. Yeah, I don't know. What do I sentence them to? Is smack their skulls together. <laughs> like a rock pile? Yeah, break rocks? I, I don't know. I, 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 don't know. I got bad news for you, Elizabeth. It was not justice that was rendered that day. Because in California at the time, there was no law that a man couldn't steal his friend's dead body and drive out to the desert. So that part, they were good. Okay. Because the corpse has no intrinsic value, so therefore you can only steal what has value under the law. So they did have no value. They're like, oh, that's, really? yeah, that's at the time. At the time. Yeah. Otherwise, I think it falls under the old finders keepers rule of law. I think that's where it yeah. goes. It's like, yeah. okay, so you're underneath common law. You're down to finders keepers. Anyway, when all was said and done, the judge found that they could only charge them with these uh, body jacking country rockers with theft of a casket. <laughs> so since they never fessed up to the freeway pile up, they couldn't get them on that. And they had successfully fled that. Yeah. So after their day in court, the two were ordered to pay $1,300 for the stolen casket and a $300 fine. Wow. So they decided, let's raise some money because we got to pay for this casket. (laughs) Oh, God. So they they held a benefit party. The party was billed as Kaufman's Coffin Caper Concert. 
all case. Thankfully, <laughs> oh. there was four of them. I was going to say, <laughs> I was like in my head. I counted them it. when I was writing it. Yeah. Uh, oh, the yeah, featured yeah. DJ for the event was a young Dr. Demento. Oh, my God. Hold on. I need to. Okay. Lastly, my That's last bit for you. That's a, a few lot. years down the road, Kaufman ran into an old friend of Graham Parsons. And the friend had heard about the whole body theft inter- and then the, the Hertz ride to the desert, the amateur cremation, the court case. Heard all about it, right? The friend let Kaufman know, despite it all, he greatly appreciated what they'd done. Keith Richards told him, I heard you took care of old pal. And that's all he oh, said. Oh, my God. That was Keith's way of saying, thank you. <laughs> well, there you go, Elizabeth. What's our ridiculous takeaway? Yeah. Uh, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. That's my takeaway. My ridiculous takeaway is don't do the drugs that Keith Richards tells you not to do. He says, hey, don't do that. Don't do I, that. Yeah. If he, oh, yeah. These are my rules. Like, uh, would Indiana Jones do it? Do it. Would Keith Richards do it? Maybe do it. Don't Keith do Richards it. says, don't do it. Definitely don't do it. <laughs> There you go. That's, That's mine. a good takeaway. Thank you. I Thank like you for it. asking. Of course. Oh, anyway, you're welcome. <laughs> you're gonna find us always online at Ridiculous Crime on Twitter, on Threads, on Instagram, and if you got an email, send us one at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. We also have the Talkback app, which uh, you know you can do talking back at us. So yes. go on the iHeart, download that Talkback. Yep, it is. Well, you know, hey, thanks for spending time with us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by Night Manager of the Joshua Tree Inn, Dave Kustin. Research is by Marissa, don't do heroin, brown, and Andrea, definitely don't mix it with alcohol, song sharpened here. Our theme song is by Thomas, hey Nick, Lee, and Travis, Keith Dutton. The host wardrobes provided by Botany 500. Executive producers are Ben, driver of the Hertz Bolin, and Noel, lighter fluid brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.